Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host as always, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. This episode's guest is Michael McAvoy from Metabolic Healing. Michael is a clinician and educator who is creating functional medicine-based platforms which integrates modern health data analysis with evidence-based therapeutic interventions using nutraceutical and biotechnical formulations. On this episode, Michael and I discuss many topics, including Michael's background and influence, Michael's take on what true health actually is and what it means to him, Michael's overarching philosophy on optimizing health and wellness, biochemical individuality, what current areas of research Michael is most excited about, the biggest lessons Michael has learned so far throughout his life and career to date, and Michael's top resources for all the listeners. And we covered many more topics throughout the show. This was another great episode, guys, and I hope you really enjoyed. Okay, uh, Michael McAvoy, it is an absolute pleasure to have you come on to my podcast. Uh, you're someone who I've been wanting to get on for the last um last period or last number of months and it's been finally great to finally hook up just for the, the listeners Mike who might be too familiar with, with who you are maybe just fill us in on your background hey Robbie thanks for having me so uh, my name is Michael McAvoy and um, I'm the CEO and founder of a web-based nutritional slash functional medicine company uh, metabolichealing.com and uh, we are a company that specializes in uh consulting for clients and uh, as well as we conduct training programs for other healthcare practitioners and we also have a third part of our company which is based on uh, the data analysis of different kinds of laboratory tests and that's product project and development and uh, I've been at this uh, health functional medicine metabolic healing uh, game for about 10 years now and it's been an incredible journey and we've learned a lot going forward. I've taken a lot of different courses over the years, and I've really found the importance of developing your own niche in terms of how to really become good at what you're doing and realizing that, you know, one of the things I'd like to talk about today is that we are our own teachers, we are our own patients, we are our own doctors, we are our own researchers. We are our own authority, and it's important to recognize that, especially in this day and age of technology and in the developments of clinical practice and in health in general, is that we're often looking towards some sort of a guru or teacher to kind of lead us, but the reality is that we are the authority. And if we have the ability to use our own intellect and to use our own understanding, we can make tremendous discoveries and apply these discoveries directly into whatever kind of practice that we do. And this kind of practice can be, you know, health, functional medicine, but it also can be, you know, uh, anything in the fitness realm. And as you know, Robbie, so much of what we do in uh, movement-based practices is based on experimentation and using ourselves as the vehicle for testing things out. And testing out, you know, what is my threshold for doing certain kinds of exercises and what can I learn in, in programs that I develop for myself and clients. And so I like to look at that because I think 
we're at a new time and a new age right now in the 21st century where people are really wanting to, you know, it's kind of a word called biohacking. But I think that there's a lot of validity to that. We're, we're having to really now leverage ourselves rather than existing outdated systems and outdated technologies and outdated training. We're leveraging ourselves and ways of testing out different methodologies on ourselves to understand what the new discoveries are, what they need to be, and how to do it, and how to make it happen. So it's very exciting. So uh, anyway, that's kind of a long introduction, but I'm, I'm honored to be here today. Yeah, it's, um, I'm honored to have you on the show, really. It's, uh, as I said, it's fantastic to finally get you on. Just a, a question I always ask every guest who comes on, particularly the, the, the first time they come on, because obviously when they come on for a second time, they've kind of given a bit of context of who they are, and, and we've heard their background the first time, but... In terms of just influences, Michael, who, who have been the biggest influences on you both personally and professionally? Well, there's really too many to list. Um, I've had a lot of different influences throughout my career, and um, they, they vary from uh, people that I meet on the street to um, researchers that are no longer alive to physicians that are in practice now to just the average person. Um, I like to think that I, I get influence from everybody I meet, but um, no, uh, most notably, I'd like to mention a few people. So first of all, it was a Dr. Emmanuel Ravisi, who's no longer alive, but he was a, a pioneering researcher and physician who practiced medicine for almost 75, 77 years. And uh, his work has yet to receive any recognition or claim by mainstream but clearly his discoveries were um, paramount to understanding certain aspects of human physiology. Um, I'd like to give a shout to uh, Dr. Dietrich Klinghart, who has shown me the bridge between um, conventional physiology and energetic medicine. And I think that that work uh, is very important and is pioneering as well. And I'd also like to uh, give a shout to Dr. Lynn August, who's been instrumental in helping me to develop as a clinician. So, but again, I think that we can all appreciate that we can get inspiration from everyone that we meet and anyone that we meet. And it's born from this sense of innate curiosity that we all possess. We have the ability to be influenced by anything at all if we're open to learning and that the key is having a, a certain degree of vulnerability and openness to understand as well as a curiosity to investigate things that you're interested in, wanting to know why things are the way they are and how things work. And this innate curiosity to me is essential in, in my own learning process because it, it shows that we must become our own authority and we must become our own, as I mentioned before, we must be our own teacher and our own student and our own doctor and patient. And the more that we can kind of trust our own intuitive sense of how we, we learn and process information, I think that there's a lot to be, there's a lot to be taken from that. So many different, many different people have influenced um, my work and hopefully going forward, I'll have more to report in the future. Yeah, you're definitely, singing from the same hymn sheet as myself because as somebody who who is a a teacher at a, at a college I, I lecture at a personal training college 
one thing I always encourage my students to become is critical thinkers. And I always say all I ever want for any human being to take away from an interaction with me is that all I want them to know is that all I want for every single human being is to have enough courage to think for themselves, to become self-reliant and to be able to think for themselves and come to their own conclusions on things. But it brings up a good question then of, because humans are so influenced by their environment, by parents and their guardians and friends and society and culture, etc., etc., you know, it kind of, it brings up the question that, like, are the thoughts and the conclusions and the filters of how we see reality, are they really ours? Like, how do we know that we're not just making judgments off certain biases or indoctrinations that we were given? So it's another point that I always put across people that I think one of the reasons why we're spirits having a, a human experience is to come to that place of self-actualization to finally realize, you know, who we are. Can we strip away all those indoctrinations and masks and finally get down to the to the root being who we are and why we're actually here on this planet. So, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting question. And I just, just bring that up too because you're, 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 you know, you're talking about people becoming their own doctors and, and their own sort of, you know, listening to their own intuition. I'd be very much on the same same page. So anyone that's ever listened to me always knows that I always talk about self-reliance. And as I said earlier on, you know, becoming a critical thinker. And I all say the same thing, you know, become your own doctor, your own spiritual leader. Uh, your own teacher, you know, again, all this idea of self-reliance and being a critical thinker and having enough courage to go your own way and think for yourself. So it's, uh, it's you know, it's, it's refreshing too, but I suppose the question I just want to pose and that's what I got to, like, how, how can you maybe balance that out knowing that, or, like, in your way, how, how do you think we could know that, that the thoughts and the ways we're seeing reality are really ours and they're not, you know, they haven't been just handed down to us, they're not like second-hand beliefs that we've gotten from our environment. Well, I think in many ways they, they may very well be that. And um, we have to appreciate that reality is not something that is fixed, mm. that uh, doesn't change. The only constant really is there's flux and there's change. Yeah. And that's why it's very difficult to conduct scientific studies that are entirely accurate and valid because yeah. things are subject to transformation and change over time. And so, you know, looking at it from a health perspective, um, health is a dynamic process of adaptation. I, I ultimately would view it that way in that the, the body and the mind's ability to be able to adapt to its external environment as well as, its, as, well as to its internal milieu or internal environment, that dynamic balance I would define as health. Because health to me is about homeostasis, it's about maintaining equilibrium, despite the various challenges that are put on the body, the mind, the spirit, etc. And so, if we view, but if we view health more as something that is um, a fixed thing with a with a definite, uh, you know, d definitive definition, then we lose the essence of what the, the human body and its myriad of mystery really is. Yeah. So I, I would say that health to me is a dynamic balance, an equilibrium that can be practiced and it's something that can be not only practiced but also tested. And we and, and, it, and it's very relative. To me, uh, health is not necessarily something that can be acquired from something outside of yourself. It's something that you have to come to terms with yourself. It's something that you gain through experiential knowledge and insight as well as an understanding of how 
your own entity, your own being fits into the, the, the natural world or the external environment. I think that if you look at the way that the Chinese, the traditional Chinese medical systems defined qi and energy or, or talked about it in those contexts, we realize that we're talking about a dynamic process of balance between internal and external stimuli and how the organism being faced with energy that comes into it from the outside and perceiving the outside from the so-called inside, that that is in essence a dynamic balance, a dynamic equilibrium. And so from that flows all things. And health to me is a balance between these different these different things that are that are, are you know yin and yang these different opposites that are constantly at you know this this eternal battle between duality is something that is happening inside of us and the ability to find health is in in many respects the ability to find that balance and that ability to adapt to those different stimuli and those different influences yeah, yeah, like uh, you, you bring some great points there. It's something I've been sort of thinking about meditating on an awful lot lately, and I've had discussions with a friend of mine called Danny Lennon, who has the Sigma Nutrition podcast, and it's this idea of uh, this concept of the difference there between a, a passion and then sort of obsession, or if you like, passion and an addiction early. And what, what I mean with that is going back to this question of what is what what does it mean to be healthy? Like, you know, I think the typical person would think that you know, health is this, you know, you, you, your, your nutrition's on point, your hydration's on point, your circadian rhythm's on point, your dark light exposures within your circadian rhythm on point, your sleep is on point. But then at the same time, there's also, you know, an exercise on point. But then at the same time, these things within themselves can then become stressors and unhealthy if, like, if you miss an exercise session or you miss a training session and that upsets your day or your sleep was off one night and you let that get to you or you didn't get the perfect meal in or something you ate gave you some gas and bloating and that's on your mind and it's like then like it will kind of go back to this question is this true health like what is health then and i love how you said that it's a dynamic process that's always in flux and they might be your exact words but i you know i i think that's what you're trying to say again it's health isn't this like fixed in stone destination nothing really is in life you know it, like life is just a dynamic process that's always in flux but the question i'm kind of posing here to you is like like how it's, it's nearly how to get across this idea of what true health actually is. I think a lot of people just think that it's the exercise, nutrition, sleep piece, but there is this mental and there's this mental emotional aspect and this mind aspect and the spirit aspect as well. And kind of like, you know, like for instance, you, you could see like the lay person may see someone who looks very fit, and healthy, and they might be eating like a bit of cake or something, and then the, the lay person, oh my god, I can't believe you need a piece of cake that's so unhealthy, and yet. They, their, their concept of what true health is is just so far removed from what it is in reality that like the person eating the cake who might be in a position to be like they understand what health is in every aspect mind spirit body etc they just they won't even just bother trying to get into it with that person because it's not it's just too far removed from what their sense of health is again so it's kind of trying to come up with a way to put that into tangible words and meaning you know that it's not just these physical actions of the food we eat and the sleep and the exercise, yes, they are a huge part of it, but they in themselves and can actually go against us. Like nowadays, I don't know if you've seen social media, like so many, like there's so many fitness professionals who are putting on this facade on social media, like, 
like and in that like it's detrimental to their health like it's almost it's an addiction that they have to do their exercise they have to eat and they have to look this way and it's gotten to a stage where now it doesn't contribute to health anymore it's actually taken away from it so like how kind of do you have you thought about that or meditated on this and like how to kind of get that sort of information filtered in a way that the masses might understand a bit better if that question makes any sense at all <laughs> i think that health is also an evolutionary process and it's something that evolves with each person in their own personal journey. So to somebody, I think that it's very reasonable to say that health is doing exercise of some kind four days a week and eating you know, what they would consider to be a healthy diet or you know, getting the circadian rhythms balanced. To somebody, that's a very valid form of health. But to somebody else, health may be very different because they're, they, they may have already learned certain lessons in their own journey or path that have that they've either considered that they've mastered or understood or have gotten the most important information from. And now they're looking at health from a different angle or different perspective. So I think that what we're dealing with is the, the, the dynamic, the dynamic evolution of a human being throughout one's life and Health may be very different for somebody who's 93 years old yeah. in comparison to somebody who's 16 years old. And it's because life experiences greatly influence the perspectives that we have on health and on, the, on reality in general. So it's really hard to measure or to make you know, definitive comparisons and saying, here's what health is. I can tell you what health is for me philosophically. And see, I could break it down into something more tangible too, but that may change in five years. It, I may be looking at things in a very completely different way. So, and it's always very easy to form biases based upon our own experiences. You know, we, we human nature, or the human mind, and, and the certain limitations that the human mind presents when combined with personality or ego is that. We want to take ownership for health or we want to take ownership for the way that we are as people. And we want to have certain, you know, cliques and groups that we follow to is the pack rat mentality. And so it becomes easy to defend one's own positions, but it becomes harder to accept other people and other people's perspectives on what health is simply because we haven't experienced them. You know, I, I find sometimes that the, the language that I use is just too complicated for the layperson to understand, and that can become very problematic. But it's it's because we have this this issue of evolving that we we kind of run into the, the habit or the, the the potential red flag is that we can run into very we're almost too we can become too niche specific if that makes any sense no it doesn't. Or we kind of we lose we lose the sight of the bigger picture in in the sight of the, the things that are very small but all things are very relative and all things are subject to change and if we can if we can acknowledge that i think we could have more respect for each other in our own processes yeah and are you bring from that's some great stuff right there yeah so it's 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 always good to get just a, another perspective on, on the question. You know, it, it, it is actually a really profound question when you sit back and actually ask, like, what is true health, you know? And I, I think, you know, you brought up a good point that, again, it's another 
process that's that's in a dynamic flux and it, it'll change throughout life. So um, no, it's good to get your perspective on that for sure. Um, in terms of uh, the, the the biggest areas in need of improvement within the within the health and and well health health and, and wellness professions. So you know we're looking at things like medicine, would be that conventional, functional, and nutrition, and be that clinical or, or more sort of functional as well. But what what are some of the 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 best things you see within the health and wellness professions and some of the not so good things and with the not so good things what are some potential solutions that you would like to put forward well and i would there's a, a question really worth uh, some some really deep consideration because it's it's a there's a lot of potential uh, different answers to that mm-hmm. but i'll say that in, in in my observation at this point of, of where you know what what point in the, the history of humanity am I living in right now and what what are what are some of the observations that I can make about what I'm seeing which again is a very very limited perspective of course <laughs> um, but uh, I, I'll, I'll say that one of the, the the cool things is that there is so much information that has exploded from research and from even social media and from different types of modalities and practices that it's like no other time that I can recall have we have humans been exposed to and been inundated to the, the potential of information that we now have access to and somebody who's I spend a lot of time doing research on all kinds of different subjects and meta subjects and meta meta subjects and it's really unfathomable to to actually go into the 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 rabbit hole of some of the research that exists on various subjects and so with that research with that information explosion comes a lot of opportunity to really make new progress and make new discoveries in in let's just say clinical practice i'll give you some practical examples but I, I'm the kind of person that likes to think that we're living in a time of great advancement, and it's sort of like in the United States in the in the, 19, in the 1840s, you know, in the mid 19th century, the California Gold Rush was a time where people would, you know, flock to the West Coast by the thousands and the tens of thousands in search of the gold in the foothills, and uh, in many ways, we're living in a new gold rush era of information and technology and the ability to see that and to quote unquote stake your own ground in the potential of what's out there and how to use it, how to apply it to your own health is a st- is just astounding. It's absolutely astounding. Mm-hmm. 30 years ago, this type of availability of this kind of information did not even exist to the fraction that it exists today. And so I'm, what's amazing to me in my own practice is how much new information I learn on a, on a month-by-month, day-by-day basis. It's literally the potential to, to tap into this is like tapping into a, a, a continuously gushing fountain of information that can provide you with the ability to learn things that you've never thought of before. And suddenly now looking back, what was what I knew six months ago 
seems like six years ago in terms of the, the, the context of what I knew then versus what I knew now. That to me is how that to me is amazing. Now, in, in terms of the limitations to that, there can be many. Obviously, the most the most evident is that there's so much information that it can become overwhelming beyond comprehension. In terms of the actual clinical side of it, I think it's important to keep in context a very basic principle, and that is of individuality. In terms of what I mean by that individuality is um, recognizing that each per each person that we work with as practitioners are very unique and have extraordinarily unique backgrounds, extraordinarily unique genetics, very unique biochemistries, and we have to appreciate that when we're dealing with clients on a one-on-one -on -one basis, we're dealing with the, the principle and influence of inter-individual tendencies that are influencing the outcomes of what we see, as well as the predispositions to certain idiosyncrasies or even diseases, predispositions because of biochemical, genetic, epigenetic, environmental toxins influencing the body on an individual basis. And we're basically, I, I would look at it in, in another context, is we are each in of our each of us in and of ourselves are like many universes. Mm. And we are many universes that have very individual functions. Yes, we all have certain phenotypical characteristics yeah. that are yeah. that we all share commonly. But we have a lot of our, our our core makeup is not the same blueprint. Everybody is different. There was never the same you throughout any of human history, and there never will be again. So we have to take that, keep that in mind as we as we look at and and look at at how treatments will impact our clients and recognizing that that can seem like a very daunting task or responsibility as healthcare providers and practitioners, but it makes you think on a deeper level and you and, and makes you kind of develop new ways of looking at how the human body and all its miraculous functions actually works. And it, it makes you kind of look at systems theories and it makes you look at pattern analysis and it makes you look at theories that are a synthesis or, or uh, 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 theories that are a, a uni that unifying principle theories, you know, unifying principle theories being different than when you look at studies or if you look at research, research that is tying together a unified principle, right? The principle of yin and yang and dualistic balance between opposing forces in the human body and in the, in the universe, that's a unifying principle theory. Unifying principle theories also can apply to health and medicine. You know, um, and I can give specific examples of research that's looked at that. Like, for example, the Robert Navio paper on, on pure energic signaling in the cell danger response. That is a unifying theory. So the more that we can look at health and dis-ease as ways to accomplish equilibrium and dynamic balance within the individual, which again, to me, 
each person is a universe in and of themselves, we can start to kind of lay out the blueprint for how to understand the unique fingerprints of each person. And that's, to me, where the rubber meets the road. Yeah, it's great stuff. It's great stuff. And you kind of touched on a point there also that I often talk about is that in terms of biochemical individuality, not only are we biochemically unique from one individual to another, but we ourselves are biochemically unique from moment to moment. So we're, you know, the fact that we're a dynamic organism in flux means that you know we are always constantly um, in this dynamic flux within ourselves. So we're biochemically unique from moment to moment, and, and our needs from a nutritional standpoint or a sleep and circadian standpoint or an exercise standpoint or even from an emotional standpoint that they're always in flux so i always try and stress that not, 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 not only are we biochemically unique again from one individual to another but within ourselves we're biochemically kind of moment to moment based so i love the way you touched on that as well so it's uh again it's, it's kind of you know me and you have never had a discussion or interaction before but it's kind of like you know we, we've kind of come at this from different angles and, and we're sort of in a similar place right now and it's it's you know it's good it's it's good to you know the vibration the frequencies that like you can kind of feel here between us are, are good in terms of where kind of meditation has been lately so it's uh it's definitely uh refreshing to hear too. And the cool thing with it, Robbie, is that in terms of actually looking at individuality, and I can give you know the listeners possibly an example of this. If you actually, if everybody that was listening to this had a blood glucose meter. And, they dis- and then we could actually conduct a large-scale trial on all the listeners if we want to do it, if we put the effort into it. And I keep threatening to do this, and maybe one day I will. But take, for example, if everybody on this call ate a bowl of oatmeal and a banana, pure carbohydrates, for example, mm. and then did blood sugar testing on themselves before, during, and in the hours after, I will guarantee you that the changes in blood glucose will be tremendously varied among that population of people. Yeah. And so if, and, and I guarantee it, and no one's really done this kind of a, a trial study, but it's begging to be done. But what the results will ultimately tell you is that we're all unique and how we metabolize food at the fundamental level of making cellular energy that process is unique from person to person. Yeah. That we can prove that very easily with a very simple study. And if that's true, then think about how every other faculty of how our bodies function is unique to us. My friend Danny Lennon, um, he had a seminar last year, and he I'm not sure it was from Greece or somewhere around that area in terms of geography, but some researchers did do something similar to that where they had an individual, two individuals eat a Mars bar and a banana, and they had completely different responses, whereas like the Mars bar really spikes one guy's glucose, didn't have much impact on the other guys, and then when they flipped it to the banana, it was the other way around. The guy who had no response to the Mars bar had a huge glucose response to the banana, and the guy who had the response to the Mars bar had no response to the banana. So <laughs> it was something, now don't quote me, it was something ridiculous along like not ridiculous but something that we heard first off you were like you know based off conventional thought it was just it was just shown again how how biochemically unique every human being is but it, another good point and i'd love to see this in research too is that okay we, we could take two different groups or two different individuals and and feed them you know the same foods and look at their individual responses but you could also take the same individual and feed them the same food 
would do it do it on a day-to-day basis like day after day and, and no doubt they'd have even individual responses to the same food at the same time of day because emotionally they could be in a different position or their blood sugar could be in a different position right before they ate that meal or so many factors so you could sit down to a meal like i know myself there's sometimes i have a meal and i feel great after it and i could eat that very same meal or you know the same composition another time and i might get a bit of gas or bloating from it or there could have been just something not quite right whether it was my mental emotion state sitting down to that meal or maybe it was cooked slightly differently or who knows the, the, the amount of variables that could have went into it so that's also going to have an impact on your individual response to a meal at any time even if it was like the same meal that you had before you know and again we never had the exact same meal twice either but you, you kind of get where i'm going with that so that's probably mm-hmm. another thing to even look at is this intra individual response not not even just inter so that'd be interesting mm-hmm. as well yeah that's a really that's a very interesting point i think it it kind of brings back the discussion about that that reality is in constant flux. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <clears throat> There's a, a continual evolution from a moment by moment basis, and that can be measured and quantified in each person on a day to day basis. With looking at something as simple as measuring a person's glucose, mm. even within the same, even 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 eating the same foods could cause varied responses from day to day. Yeah, absolutely. So, Michael, I, I'm someone. I'm a patient, and I contact you, and I'm looking for your services. What walk us through what what happens here? So how does that process go? So in the questions I said, this is basically getting into like your principles and philosophies of optimizing health and wellness. So if I was a, a, a potential client and I contacted you, how does that process work? Where does it go from there? Well, you could always, uh, if you're interested in working with us, you can contact us through our website at uh, www.metabolichealing.com. And I'll put that I'll put that in the show I'll put that in the show notes just so everyone knows. Yeah, and we work with uh, we're, we're a web-based company, so we're internationally based. We have clients all over the world, really. And um, our focus is uh, it's again it's it's very individualized. We do have some basic tests that we recommend for for everyone, but um, everyone that comes to us has very special needs, and some people are very healthy, some people are very sick, um, some people have very specific concerns. Some people have been to 100 practitioners and they're looking for a solution to some complex illness. So it, it really depends on each person, but you can learn more about our, our services through our site. And um, we, we try to be very thorough with working with people. Um, we find that uh, doing too many lab tests can be overkill. We, we can get a lot of information by asking the right questions. And uh, so we've developed uh, some software tools that will help uh, us and our practitioners that we've trained to uh, to get better results with their clients. Great stuff. Great stuff. I suppose you touched on this maybe a, a small bit, but um, I'm going to ask it anyway because you, you, you might come up with some further thoughts. What current areas of research within medicine, nutrition, health medicine in general, are you most excited about at the moment and why? At, at the moment, I'll tell you that uh, what I'm really interested in is studying the research on herbal medicine that's coming out of China. And uh, apparently the Chinese have an ancient system of medicine based on herbal medicine as well as their 
systems of traditional healing practices like acupuncture and qigong and medical qigong. Um, but I'm, I'm very interested in what the Chinese are doing with regards to their herbal medicine. Unlike in the United States, where in, in many Western countries where there really isn't a lot of research or funding for research on herbal medicine, China is very different. And they're spending evidently an enormous amount of money conducting research on uh, traditional herbal medicines. And uh, so to give you a little bit of a breakdown, I spent a lot of time looking at a lot of this research and finding out how it can be used in practical ways. And through the process of extracting and, and looking for information and you know, using my own God-given intelligence to, to, to help find and source the info that I'm looking for, I've come across some very interesting research. Uh, give you an example. I've been working with a few individuals who have a condition known as essential thrombocytosis. And it's uh, basically a disease where the, the, the body produces too many blood platelets. And this can be a fatal condition. It can lead to stroke. It can lead to mild proliferative diseases like uh, myeloid leukemia and certain cancers. It can, it can cause uh, blood clots as well as bleeding. And uh, so essential thrombocytosis is considered to be relatively rare. However, the conventional treatment for it is largely ineffectual and toxic. And the, the drug that's primarily used to try to control blood platelets and the production of them is a drug called hydroxyurea or hydroxycarbamide. And the, its own scientific research shows that the drug is a, a DNA toxic molecule, it's genotoxic. It can cause severe symptoms, it can cause birth defects taken by pregnant women, it can do all kinds of really nasty things. And they're really from, from what I'm gathering, there really is not a lot of research on, on alternatives for uh, essential thrombocytosis. However, if you look at the Chinese Materia Medica and the actual published literature that's been done on a number of botanical medicines, you'll actually find that there are very effective and they're very effective herbal medicines to treat hydroxy, to treat uh, essential thrombocytosis with negligible toxicity. And uh, I've demonstrated this at least in one instance, uh, and I'm looking to recruit more people with this so-called rare condition that can be effectively managed with, with uh, Chinese herbal medicines. Well, that's really, it sounds very interesting. So I'll be definitely uh, interested to see how your further research, go, research goes in, in that area. It'd be very interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, Michael, so, something I just, I just want to ask too, and I, I know you, you gave some of your background and some of your influences, but I suppose a, a deeper question that I, I didn't really dwell into from the beginning was, what got you into this whole field? Like, wh wh why go down this area? Like, was there some incident within your own life? Was there was there a certain point where you're like, you know, I, I, I'm going to take my own health and well-being into my own hands and, and empower others to do so? Like, what, what, what triggered, what was the trigger that got you into this whole field? Well, my personal health journey started after traveling overseas 
and uh, coming back to the United States very, very sick with intestinal dysbiosis and uh, a, a variety of complications. And uh, I was it, at one point I was pretty frightened because I didn't really know what I was doing and I didn't know what to do. I didn't trust Western medicine would solve the problems that I had. And I just had to take it into my own hands. And uh, basically, that's what I did. Um, I was very sick. I had, uh, I was, I was significantly underweight. I'm, I was bacterial imbalances and parasitic imbalances. I was jaundice. I was anemic. I was definitely not absorbing nutrients from the foods I was eating. And, uh, so I, uh, I took it upon myself to learn everything I could and, uh, to start practicing optimal health as I understood it to be, or potentially understood how it could be mm-hmm. at the time. And, uh, Within a short period of time, I started to improve. I continued forward with the, with the objective to get as healthy as I possibly could, and I learned how to heal my intestines and create more of a, a, a balance and harmony in my life. And within a short period of time, I was actually – I considered to probably be at a higher level of health than I had been probably at any other point previously in my life. And that was almost 15 years ago. So that was the starting point. And it's been a a journey of self-discovery ever since, and it continues to be. What would you say have been the the top lessons you've learned so far in your career? The top lessons that I've learned in my career – would be number one, you're going to want to trust yourself and to recognize yourself as your, as the authority in your life mm-hmm. and to be responsible for your own health, whatever that means to you. Because again, health can be a very relative term and that, that term can evolve over time. Yeah. Uh, so, we, we are our own teacher, we are our own doctor, we are our own patient, we are our own laboratory of experimentation, and we have the capacity to make a difference in the world, each of us does. And by doing, by, by practicing what we preach, we have the ability to influence positively others. And I think that would probably be the main takeaway here, is the ability to to really trust yourself. Yeah, big time. And what would you say have been or has been one of the, you know, and I don't even like using the word mistake, but like it depends on, it's everyone's frame of reference. I see mistakes as great things, they're learning opportunities and obstacles, but what would you say is, has been the, the best mistake you've ever made uh, in your life to date because it probably taught you something invaluable? Thinking that I was right when actually I was wrong. Oh, yeah, nice. We have to recognize that we want to know the answers. And sometimes if we if we let our egos become too powerful, it becomes difficult to see the truth. And we end up instead becoming dogmatic. Yeah, yeah. 
and holding to things that aren't real and aren't true. And this can backfire very, very severely in clinical practice. And I think we see this thing a lot in conventional Western medicine, that uh, ignorance comes before arrogance. And and I'm not saying that, that all doctors are this way, but I, I'll say that this is a this is a trend that definitely I've seen repeatedly in, in Western medical practice. But it can happen in any practice because we're all human and we're all subject to the the, the negative aspects of our own ego. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's very important to acknowledge when you're wrong about something and to, to know when you need to make the right choice. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just as simple as saying, I was totally wrong, and that's okay. And I've learned that I I would rather be I would I've learned that it's not only important to acknowledge when you're wrong, but to actually realize that most of the time you're wrong. Yeah. Most of the time, the things that I think about end up not being true. And even if and maybe sixty percent of the recommendations I make to somebody might not be necessary or even work. But if 30% or 40% of them do work, hopefully that's enough to get the person healthier. Do you not think that that's a little bit of a contradiction to what you said earlier in terms of learning to trust your own intuition? No, I don't because the, the reality is that we'll never be able to know everything. That's a good answer, yeah. It wasn't, it was more so just, yeah, no, go ahead, that's perfect. Well, we don't, we'll never know, we'll never know everything. We can't know everything, and we'll never, and we'll never stop learning. The the only time we'll stop learning is if we feel like there's nothing else to learn. And I've, I've unfortunately seen that happen sometimes with some practitioners where they, seem to get to a point and their their learning process is pretty much over. Yeah. Because they they feel like they they what they're doing, they're comfortable with what they're doing and that's as far as they, they want to go. And that's unfortunate because true learning never really ends as long as you're looking to learn something. Another question I'd like to ask you too because for, for someone of your expertise within the realm of functional medicine because, again, I've done courses in this through FDN and I've done Functional Medicine University and I went down the whole rabbit hole. I've kind of come to appreciate Occam's Razor more and more in terms of, like, if you have, you know, two potential solutions to a problem and one solution is, like, radical and way out there and the other one's probably just a simple solution, they usually, the simple solution is usually the answer. So, for instance, me, myself, I had my own health issues for a while with my stomach and, like, I'd gone through all this functional medicine training and I was like, oh, is it H. pylori, is it low stomach acid, should I get all these very expensive tests run? And long story short, it actually was just that I was just eating too much food. <laughs> so my, my point being that it was such a simple solution and profoundly changed my life in terms of my mood and my, you know, just because I was going around bloated all the time because I was just eating too much food per meal. I had no appreciation for just portion control. Whereas, like, I think that what's happening a lot nowadays, due again to the internet and so much information, people are, like, diagnosing themselves. And there's also people who have no fundamental knowledge in 
basic science to take these functional medicine courses and they're telling people to do all these really expensive tests and it could be just a simple thing of like you need to like understand portion control and you need to maybe just drink a bit of water and understand just sleep and like it could be such a basic fix that's so inexpensive and that could like it could could profoundly change uh, the, the current individual's issues or problems not not to troll the baby out of bat water and say that there is a need for some of these other tests but do you maybe see that a little bit as well that some people are a bit too fast to you know go straight into these thousands upon dollars of testing and prescription supplements and really it could be just a simple thing of like portion control and, and things of that nature absolutely i think that the fundamentals of health are often overlooked and sometimes the fundamentals of health can be the biggest missing piece of the puzzle and your story is just a perfect example of that robbie and that kind of thing happens all the time mm. And, you know, we're, as practitioners, we're constantly wanting to find the solution. And it becomes sometimes a trap to think that we need to be more complex in our thinking yeah, in order to find the solution, when the reality is we need to be more sim simple. Yeah, but that's not to say that complex illness doesn't exist, because, of course, we absolutely. know that it does. Mm -hmm. And we do have ways of dealing with that. So... But, you know, at the same time, things that it, 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 that principle of fundamentals of health will always apply to everybody yeah. under all circumstances. I, I think it's, it's just, it, maybe it's more prevalent nowadays. I mean, I can't really say that because, I mean, I, I, I can't say what went on before I was born, but, you know, I sound like an old man nowadays, the are all day, but that maybe, you know, you hear an awful lot of people say, you know, that, like those simple solutions just aren't sexy enough. Like, so, for instance, sleep is seems to be such a hard thing for people to, like, to, you know, almost sell people, like, you know, just sleep more because it's free and it's, like, it's almost too easy of a solution for, like, energy issues or with headaches, like, it could be just water. Like, I actually had a client one time and they they were on headache medication for a long, long time. Now, I never, I'd never tell someone to go off the medication, not my physician, but I just suggested, like, all I asked is, do you drink much water by any chance? And they drank none. They drank lots of coffee and stuff that were diuretics and I was like, I mean, just drink like a little, start drinking a little bit of water. After six weeks, they started getting their water intake up to just a liter and a half a day, and they they went off some medication that they've been on for five years. Yeah, I think if you look at the epidemic of hypertension, you're going to find a strong correlation to dehydration. Yeah. And the body's, as Batman Gelgi would say, the body's many cries for water are real. Mm. And, um, Things as simple as that are often overlooked. We're a culture that wants to be constantly stimulated. Yeah. And uh, there's plenty of ways to do that. But sometimes we forget the things that are the most important and basic. Absolutely. And it's important to keep that in mind. So uh, another concept that I've been thinking an awful lot about lately, we kind of touched on this in terms of you were saying that, you know, we can't know everything we can't because like an easy way to prove that is, well, what's death? And everybody, uh, we'll never know that. And this question of actually uncertainty and death, and I read Robert Sapolsky's book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers, and it was brought to my attention that book that uncertainty is one of the highest forms of stress to humans. And because of this, it leads to a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of the behavioral traits that we have and a lot of the addictions we have. And people always think of addiction as drugs and drink, but people can have addictions to, like, 
like certain uh, certain things throughout their day, like they have to have this certain snack or this certain meal, or they have to have this exercise this re regime and uh, things of that nature. Again, like and it's it's in terms of seeing that those certain types of behaviors, not only within our clients but within ourselves. So, like, have you kind of thought about that process too of how can we become a little more accepting that you know one will never know what's next in terms of like what's after this life which will then lead to the sort of if we, if we could come to terms with death and our mortality i think it would make things like us having certain egos and certain behavioral habits that we do have like again certain exercise habits or i have to eat this meal because it gives me comfort and it's certain or again smoking drinking drugs like these addictions and again the addictions can be things again like exercise or nutrition or something like that because those things give us a false sense of security. Have you ever thought about that in terms of, you know, have you seen it with a client that that, that type of, they're looking for that type of certainty through these addictive behaviors? And have you tried to, like, how have you managed people, this situation, basically? People want to have things to fill their cup with. Yeah. And they want to, they want to have their cup full. But the reality is that there's always going to be space and there's always going to be emptiness in that cup, whether or not they know it or not. And it's, it's oftentimes very uncomfortable to accept that feeling of not knowing that yes. uncertainty, yes. but that ability to accept that we don't know, to me is a very liberating thing yes. because at the very center point of existence is space mm -hmm. and is a single point of non-movement and non, non, non matter. You know, look at the single point of, of DNA, the single point of a spiral. There's perfect stillness. There's perfect emptiness. There's perfect non-existence. And it's very difficult for people to appreciate that and to under, even to comprehend that is, is, is almost uh, an intellectual problem. But there is the constant longing, in my opinion, for the spirit or the the, the entity within us or that, that we are to be comfortable with that not knowing, to be comfortable with that emptiness in that space. <clears throat> I would argue that that feeling of uncomfortableness, that feeling of not knowing the answer, that feeling of emptiness, that uncomfortableness is itself the most liberating thing. But people are afraid to see that, yeah. and instead they they want to fill their lives with things that 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 really don't matter, exactly. material things. Yeah, like uh, the reason I bring that up is because again, it's it's something I've been thinking about an awful lot um, lately in, in terms again of uncertainty and death. And I wrote a short article on it that I think that you know, uh, like the, the, the biggest question that I think every human has, whether it's a conscious question or it's, it's in their subconscious, whether conscious or subconscious is like, what is next? Like, what is after this life? And that uncertainty 
fills a lot of people with fear and, and then to fill that void with some type of certainty to hang on to dogmatic beliefs you know be they religious beliefs political beliefs ideologies but they also not only will have beliefs but they'll have certain behaviors that that will make them feel that they're in they have more control within their lives and they you know than they really do in terms of you know adding these sort of false sense of security and, and these false uh, sense of certainty in their life again these these, these behaviors can be many things like people kind of think more classically of like Dr- you know, drugs and alcohol. I mean, I remember I heard Paul Cech say, you know, why does somebody drink or smoke? It's because it's always there. It's unconditional. And it doesn't throw any judgment back in your face. It's a safe thing to love. And it's the same then with lots of people who have, like, the, again, these idiosyncrasies and behaviors. They be like, you know, they have to always be on time or they have to do this. They also have to do this thing at this time of day always. They also have to have their cup of coffee in the morning or, or this meal or they have to always train at this time or they always... And if you throw them off their day, it throws them off because, again, they like to be very certain about their day because, again, it gives them that sense of certainty again. And, again, it could be other things I said, like religious beliefs, dogmatic beliefs, political beliefs. Again, these kind of false safety blankets to hang on to. But as you said, like, being able to come to... And in my article, I was like, if we could kind of meditate and come to the acceptance that we are mortal and that we are all going to die one day when we, we just don't know what's next, it really would put everything else in perspective. Like, why, why would we really care about any of these little these little like issues that, that we worry about and we wouldn't need these safety mechanisms that we kind of cling on to for, for giving us false security. So, you know, again, it's, it's, it's refreshing and also nice to, to kind of, again, for someone like yourself, Michael, we, again, as I said, we've never spoke to another, but we, you know, we come from obviously different backgrounds and yet we're, we're kind of at a similar place, which in, in one way we need to be careful too, because we don't want to get into group think where like, Oh, like, I think you're great, you think I'm great, and now we're kind of in our own confirmational bias, we still need to be able to step back and obviously have, you know, some critical thinking about, well, you know, again, as you said, we, we can't have the answers to everything, and we're not always right, but it's just, you know, it's always nice to have a similar, as you said, frequency and energy with someone at the other end, so it's just interesting to get your perspective on that. Yeah, I would agree. It's There's a lot to think about. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, obviously, uh, I don't want to keep you much longer, and just wrapping up here in terms of... Uh, one thing actually I do want to ask before you go is just you have a course on blood chemistry and I'm, I'm very um, interested in blood chemistries and maybe if you could just get into why you have a course in blood chemistry and you maybe you can touch on some of your course you have but with blood chemistry I'm always very interested in that and what are some areas of I want to say what do I say intention but like what are some issues you see with blood chemistries in terms of looking at it through more of a conventional lens maybe through more of a functional lens if you want to put it that way or you know what, uh, just with blood chemistry, like, what are your thoughts around it? Well, blood chemistry is something that I've been studying for the last decade, and it's something that I find to be a constantly fascinating field of study and, and research because the body can reveal so much of what it's doing through its own blood, through its river of, river of life, if you will. And... There's many ways of using blood chemistry. Um, there's ways to use it diagnostically, such as how it's used in conventional medical modalities. And there's also ways to use blood chemistry for the perspective of finding health and using it to identify parameters, to identify certain physiological patterns. Uh, as, a, as almost as a using blood chemistry as almost a feedback mechanism 
And so I constantly am learning things about my client's blood test and blood chemistry after having been looking at thousands of blood tests over the past decade, I've developed a software program that does uh, an analysis of a, a client or patient's blood test. That analysis is based on the perspective of, of how can we identify subtle but significant changes in certain blood chemistry markers, which can tell us a lot about what the body is doing and what may be going wrong. And then using very basic but powerful nutritional modalities, even supplementation to positively affect the outcomes of those blood test reports, we can measure them over time. And uh, this is what I teach about in the course, which is over 20 hours in length, I think. And uh, it's also the basis of the blood chemistry analyzer reporting platform that I've created is how can we really use a blood test from the perspective of really getting inside of it and understanding what the body is telling us. And there can be a lot that you learn from that. And I continue to learn from looking at these kinds of interesting patterns understanding why something is high and low and what the, the overall meta pattern may be that's creating a shift in the tides, so to speak, of these blood chemistry markers. Great stuff. In terms of your top resources, uh, Michael, um, you know, books, podcasts, videos, online courses, webinars, live in-person courses, what would be your top recommendations there for anyone who's looking to get into the uh, health and wellness field. And, and even even these resources don't actually have to be anything to do with health and wellness. Just If you just want to, like, you know, the top books and podcasts and videos and online courses and seminars, webinars that have profoundly uh, had, had a huge impact on you both professionally and personally, what, what would you throw out there? Well, that's a, a very – that's another big topic too because there's so much out there. You know? But uh, I, I'll say this is um, – I'll throw something out there based on kind of the interesting conversation that we've had today and uh, the different things that we've touched on. There's a book called The Spark in the Machine, How the Science of Acupuncture Explains the Mysteries of Western Medicine. And it's written by a doctor, a Western physician who's also a Chinese medical practitioner and acupuncturist. And it's a very mind-blowing book in terms of linking together a number of fundamental concepts about how the human body has come to be the way that it is from going going into aspects of embryology and myofascial theories and how organs and tissues and muscles are formed and how the Chinese system identified these now very modernized concepts in a very different way, but actually developed an entire system of treating patients based on these remarkable um, concepts that we now are learning about. So that's a book that I highly recommend. If you're in, if you're, if you like the discussion that we had today, I think anybody listening will appreciate that book, The Spark in the Machine, by Dr. Dan Kean. 
Um, there's all kinds of other books and resources that you can learn about. Obviously, um, quite honestly, I'm, I'm not even current with what some of these are. Um, may, I, I think if I gave some recommendations, they may be too specific to things and topics that uh, I'm, I'm focusing on. But, but uh, I'm always looking at ways to synthesize new concepts and old concepts mm. and looking at unifying theories of how things work. And there's other, there's other books that are interesting in those regards too. If, if you're somebody that uh, is interested in herbal medicine, books by Stephen Buhner are pretty good in terms of understanding that. Books by Michael Tierra are good in terms of looking at how herbs can herbal medicine can affect the body. If you're looking at uh, want to learn how to interpret lab tests, um, there's a number of good resources out there, such as from Lord and Braley, the Lab Evaluations for Integrative and Functional Medicine book is pretty good. So I can go on, but those are just a few recommendations. Yeah, great stuff. Great stuff. Appreciate that. Uh, and then just finally getting into the last one or two here, what would your top advice be to anyone listening to our conversation today. So with this top advice, you can be anything from personal to professional to spiritual, anything to do with sort of, yeah, growth as an individual. Listen to your body. Trust what it tells you. Remember what you learn. Nice. Very nice. Uh, Michael, finally, any projects on the horizon? Um, and, you know, even if you want to maybe tell the listeners about all the courses you guys do online, which, which to me look incredible, I'll definitely be taking some of them in the future. Uh, and then finally, again, do we just go through your website and your contact information and maybe some of your services and uh, and anything else you want to add on? I mean, just before we wrap up, I just want to say I really appreciate you taking the time and listening to me ramble. I really felt I've rambled badly today on the show. You know, some, some podcasts are like, I thought I was good there today. I'm like, I just rambled and rambled and he was so nice. <laughs> He was just so nice to be like, I could just see, could see at the other side of your kind of computer screen, like rolling your eyes going, is this guy going to shut up? <laughs> so that, well, uh, we're, we're both ramblers, so you're, you're not guilty of it. I am too. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, any, any projects and uh, plug for the website too would be great. So um, metabolichealing.com, if you're a healthcare practitioner of any kind, we have four different kinds of practitioner training courses. We've got a course on blood chemistry. We've got a course on blood sugar management. We've got a methylation and uh, methylation's effect on the, on the body and on genetics. And then we have a course on a functional lab test analysis. And uh, currently we're in the developmental phase of uh, releasing a, a, uh, a great clinical practical tool that uh, basically reporting platform that does data analysis on genetics as well as on blood chemistry and hopefully other tests in the future. And uh, in addition to that, that system is, uh, is really cool. So we also do consulting work for um, individuals, and uh, we, you can find us again at metabolichealing.com. Great stuff. Michael, thanks so much for your time today. I really do appreciate them. It was a really deep conversation, the type of conversation I like to have. And as I said, I you know I kind of mumbled and fumbled a bit today. To be honest, what what actually happened? I was checking through our emails today, and I was like 10 a.m. his time, it was like 7 p.m. my time. I was like that's not correct. 
and it was it was like it was just like five minutes to six my time. I'm like, it's in California. It's like, oh crap, that's ten a.m. this time. So like, I literally just like hopped online two minutes before. Oh wow! So it was <laughs> just just by, just, just by the grace, like, and I, when I sent that message, said I'm online. So maybe that was a bit to do with my my mumbling said and have myself fully focused. But listen, it was so great to have you on, and just just stay on for another minute while I wrap up uh, with the with the listeners here. So guys. Be sure to check out uh, Michael's uh, website. Um, you know, fantastic information there, particularly for anyone who is a practitioner in the field or looking to get into the field. You know, his courses are a great adjunct to any of your main education that you're looking to get into or have done. Uh, as you can see, he's profoundly passionate about what he does, and that's why I wanted to get him on. And, and you can even tell with the over the hour conversation we had, he's a deep thinker and, and someone who who definitely takes his profession very seriously. So, for, and for anyone who's looking for any. Uh, Help in terms of their health and wellness. I mean, Michael's one of the top guys out there in terms of uh, in terms of a resource. So definitely check it out, and I'll link up all that information into the show notes. So for everyone listening, guys, uh, keep you know supporting the podcast by sharing it and leaving reviews on iTunes, putting it out on social media, you know the usual stuff. So for now, I'll talk to everyone soon again on the next episode, and uh, take care, guys. Be well and stay strong. Mm-hmm.